Welcome to the sermon podcast of Redemption Church. The following sermon is by Pastor Gary Alloway. All right, so this morning we start a new month on what did Jesus teach about reconciliation. And this is a tricky topic, right? The biblical narrative is a story of reconciliation, right? God reconciles us to himself, and in response, we're supposed to reconcile ourselves to one another. And in the end, all people are supposed to come before God, turn the swords into plowshares, and everyone is to be reconciled with one another. All our disputes fall away, war falls away, violence falls away. Everything falls away, and we are fully reconciled to one another. This is the biblical vision. Meanwhile, Jesus says that if we don't forgive others, we won't be forgiven, which is harsh, but that's what he says. And by the measure with which we judge, we too shall be judged. And when Paul talks about it, he says that because of God's reconciliation, we are supposed to be ministers of reconciliation. And Paul saves some of his harshest critiques for those who divide the body of Christ. So reconciliation is a big deal, right? And here's the problem. I'm not good at this, and I don't like it. Does anyone else feel that? Does anyone else here like, no, I love reconciliation. It's (laughs) awesome to have really hard conversations. (laughs) Maybe some of you do. Some people, I don't know. Some people are weird, sure. Um... I don't, yeah, reconciliation is difficult. And, I, you know, I come from a non-confrontational family. We generally don't talk about stuff. When things actually do blow up, you either kind of sweep it under the rug or you just kind of hope you never have to interact with that person again and, you know, hope it goes away. Reconciliation is difficult, right? I'm not sure I'm a great listener. I know what my instincts tell me, right? It's either to fight or defend myself or to avoid And most of the time, I'm pretty sure I'm right and the other person's wrong. So, you know, there's no need for reconciliation, right? And I can shrug this off, but I also know there's a cost to it. There's a cost to being up at 3 a.m. ruminating on how I've been hurt. There's a cost to my marriage and friendships, right? It's hard to actually carry out good relationships when you walk around in bitterness, There's a cost to my relationship with God. That's not just math. That's not just uh, God being angry, right? When we can't live in grace for others, it is hard to live in the grace of God. Broken relationships don't always feel like an acute reality, but they are the invisible chains we carry around with us each and every day. So I'd love to get out of this. I'd love to figure out a way around it. But if I'm looking for Jesus to get me off the hook here, I'm kind of in trouble. This is a short passage, so, so let's read it again. Matthew 5, 26 to 31. You have heard that it was said to a people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. 
Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So I want to dig into this passage and look at its nuances. But first, I just want to say, if there's a summary of the passage, it's this. Reconciliation, just do it. Jesus doesn't really tell us how to do it in this passage. Hopefully, we'll get into that more over the next six weeks. But what he does in this passage is take away our excuses, right? Jesus kind of takes away the wiggle room. He takes away the hems and haws and the reasons to put it off and says, just do it. When you look at the broken relationships in your life, just go make it right. Just do it. And it is there, not in winning or in holding on to our bitterness, that we find freedom in the kingdom of God. Amen? So Jesus starts off this passage by saying that unreconciled relationships are a big deal. They're not just kind of like secondary things to to think about. It's not really secondary to the gospel. He starts off by saying, you have heard it said to a people long ago, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. So we're in the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus is discussing the law and he's speaking to the person that says, well, I've never murdered anyone. I followed the rules. I'm good. And like Jesus says throughout the Sermon on the Mount, like focusing on the rules and fixating on the rules is a good way to seem righteous in your own eyes, but also be out of the will of God. Jesus says that just because you've never ostracized someone from society or seen yourself as a divisive person or, you know, killed someone, doesn't mean you're in the clear. Jesus puts us all on notice and says that we all have work to do here which I think we all know if we're honest, right? We all need to grow in reconciliation. But we might say reconciliation work, that's that's secondary stuff. We might have been taught that it is primarily about our relationship with God. And reconciliation is like the extra credit course. And Jesus says no. He doesn't really give space to that view. He says to be unreconciled is actually a really big deal. And he says it in three different ways. So if we're kind of stubborn, like it's, hopefully the repetition kind of breaks through by the third one. So he starts off by saying that, I tell you that anyone who is angrier with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. So it's pretty straightforward, right? If you're angry with someone, if you're at odds with someone, if you have broken relationships, you're outside the will of God. You are in sin. Second, he says, anyone who says to a brother or sister Raka is answerable to the court. Don't think I've ever called anyone Raka. But apparently it's an Aramaic insult that means something like worthless or empty-headed or idiot. And I've definitely called someone an idiot. 
And I've definitely thought it many times. And Jesus says that if you've done this, it's the equivalent of blasphemy. It offends God and should be addressed on the highest levels. And third, he comes and says, and anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. In case you missed the first two. You know, I've heard a lot of fire and brimstone preaching in my life. Usually it fixates on things like theological belief or repenting of carnal sins like alcohol and sex. Has anyone ever heard a sermon that says you're going to go to hell if you're unreconciled with your brother or sister? Okay, Vic has. Yeah, it's not normally where we go theologically, but that's what Jesus teaches, that we're in danger of hell. We're in danger of being separated from the love of God. It's amazing how many other issues we fixate on. And here we we have Jesus saying it plainly. If you don't love your brother or sister, you're outside the love of God. So again, when it comes to reconciliation, it's easy to put so many other things first and see this as secondary stuff. And Jesus just takes away the wiggle room. He just kind of hits us flatly with the like, well, all those reasons you have, they're not good enough. Just do it. Just go make it right. Just do the work. And I imagine many of us agree with this in theory, right? We'd all say amen to the idea of reconciliation. And we all know we're supposed to do it. And then tomorrow is another busy day, right? We can sit here in church and be like, oh yeah, I should go do that. But then there's emails to get back to and kids to take care of and meetings to attend and demands on our time. And so days pass and weeks pass and months pass and years pass. And unreconciled relationships become this like background noise, right? They're these broken things in our lives that we carry around for us for years and years and years. Keep putting them on the back burner. And we think they don't affect us, but I think this passage says they do. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, they do. So again, it's easy to keep putting it off and putting it off. But according to Matthew 5, when is the time to do reconciliation? Now. Now. Yeah, again, Jesus speaks in hyperbole, but he does not let us off the hook here. He gives us two different ways of thinking about it. First, he says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. So if you're on your way to church, if you were on your way to church this morning, And you're going to bring your worship to God. And you remember that your brother or sister has something against you. What are you supposed to do? (laughs) Turn around. Yeah. Yeah. So if no one's in church next week, I'll know what happened. We listen to Jesus literally here. There's probably two dimensions to this, right? First is that if you have lots of bitterness and brokenness in your life, your worship probably stinks. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, if you're in the middle of conflict with somebody, it's hard to worship God. 
It's hard to pray. It's hard to live in the grace of God. There's a brokenness between you and God that's happening there. So I think first and foremost, Jesus is saying, if you actually want to worship God, if you actually want to be in prayer before God, go make it right first. Because you're going to need that. You're going to need to live in grace for others before you can sit fully in the grace of God. But there's another dimension to this too, and it's a reminder that God is a good dad and God gets angry when we hurt each other, when we treat each other like garbage. God is not cool with it. In the same way, I'm not cool with it if my children treat each other badly, right? I'm not okay with that. And to some degree, if we have unreconciled relationships, God says, get out of here with your worship. I don't want it. I don't want to hear your false piety. I don't want to hear you talk about grace and love and forgiveness and then walk out the door and do the opposite. Enough with it. Go make it right first and then come back and worship. Yeah, this is, you know, just one of many passages that tells us we can't actually disentangle the vertical aspect of our faith between us and God and the horizontal aspect between Uh, how we treat one another. We've traditionally tried to split those things in two and make them two different things, but but this is one of many passages that says, like, no, they kind of go together, and you can't actually do one right without doing the other right. As uh, 1 John 2, 9 and 10 says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there's nothing in them to make them stumble. So that's a hard word, but Jesus teaches that if you hate your brother or sister, your worship stinks. And if you want to be able to meet God in worship and in prayer, if you want to experience the love and grace of God, you have to go live it out. You can't have one without the other. And Jesus concludes this section by saying, Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. This is, of course, good practical advice, right? It's probably easier to settle things than take your chances in in court. But I also think what Jesus is saying is this. Don't lose your life in your disputes. Don't let them drag on. Don't ruminate on things. Don't let hurts and wounds linger for days and weeks and months and years. Don't lose your life to broken relationships. There's an old saying, you guys might have heard this one. Resentment is like swallowing rat poison and hoping the other person dies. How many of us are just walking around with resentments, right? That do nothing to solve the problem, but steal our life away. Jesus says, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't let your conflicts linger Don't spend your life in court fighting for your rights. Don't spend your life in resentment. Those things are weighing you down. Go do something about it. 
And again, as Carolyn brought up, it, it doesn't always work. You don't always walk away best friends with the person. That's not a guarantee in reconciliation. But you can clean your side of the street. There's a funny passage in 1 Corinthians 6 and 7 where Paul is talking about believers taking each other to court. And he says, The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you've been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? And that's a hard word, right? Like, I don't want to be wronged or cheated. But wouldn't it be better than spending my whole life trying to win? Trying to gain the upper hand, trying to prove that I'm righteous and the other person isn't. This requires us knowing that we are okay in God. This requires us knowing that in the end, God is the judge and God will set everything right. And it requires us knowing that God is the judge, not me. But sometimes there's just a time to say, I was misunderstood and that's okay. And it's time for me to move on. I don't need to lose my life to this thing. And I think that is that process of giving that person to God. I think that that's the loving thing to do in that space. It's not necessarily to, to just leave it wounded forever, but to say this person is God's and I release them to God. So Jesus says, do it today. It might be hard to make that phone call but imagine the joy of letting it go. Settle matters quickly. Don't let them drag out. Don't let them steal your life. When it comes to reconciliation, just, just do it. And it is worth noting, Jesus is speaking in hyperbole, right? We can't necessarily take off work tomorrow to deal with every broken wound or every broken place in our life. And if we never came to church due to conflicts in our life, most of us would never come to church. And we haven't necessarily discussed what this passage says to situations of abuse or, or places where it might do more harm than good to kind of engage the conversation. There's a, there's a lot of nuances around here that aren't really in this passage in particular. But we should let this passage do what it's supposed to do. It's hyperbole, and it's meant to shake us out of our complacency. That's kind of the way hyperbole works. Like, you stayed an extreme case in order to get us to, to shake us out of that place of not doing anything. Because when it comes to reconciliation, right, we're just too good at hedging and hemming and hawing and putting it off and wiggling it out and coming up with excuses we're too good at committing to it in theory and never actually starting the process. And that's why Jesus kind of pushes us with this hard word and he just says, stop it. Go make it right as soon as possible. As soon as possible and don't come back till you've done so. So like I said, Jesus doesn't actually give us instructions on how to do reconciliation in this passage. Hopefully we get into that a little bit more in the next six weeks. But a few practical things I just wanted to give us, places, things that come from other places in Scripture. 
couple things that were on my heart this week. The first was lower the bar on reconciliation. Which is to say, if your question is, should I seek reconciliation on that? The answer is probably yes. And I, I don't think that need, means we need to be like ticky-tacky people, right? Like you can forgive someone if they're five minutes late for a meeting or give them the benefit of doubt if they said something dumb. But it doesn't cost you anything to call someone after a meeting and say, hey, the energy was a little off there. Are we okay? Or it seems like it hurt your feelings. Do I need to own something? Or, hey, I know you meant well, but I was hurt by that thing. I think reconciliation is like weeding, right? It's like the more often you do it, the easier it is. It's when you let things root forever. I'm trying to get a stump out right now. (laughs) That's what reconciliation becomes when we let it sit and grow. Or when we let brokenness grow. Hopefully we let reconciliation grow. So lower the bar on what needs to be reconciled. Second, if you can, lead with your sin. Chances are you're not 100% innocent. And if you want to help the other person admit their sin and their brokenness, share yours first. Be vulnerable. Do the work in yourself. It doesn't cost you anything and it will lead you to a posture of grace. And chances are your vulnerability will allow the other person to be vulnerable too. When they know that they aren't being attacked, they can let go of their need to defend themselves. And hopefully they have space to admit their flaws too. And again, if they don't, well, you cleaned your side of the street. And that's all you can do and hopefully you can let it go. That other person will still have to carry their chains, but hopefully you can let yours go. So if you can, lead with your sin. Third, know that you're okay in God. This is the root of good reconciliation, right? This is what allows you to be vulnerable and admit your sin, even when there's conflict in the air. And this is what allows you to walk away, even if they act badly. This is what allows you to not raise your voice This is what allows you to accept being misunderstood and still love the person across from you. This is actually pretty critical, I think, that we understand that we are okay. The reason it's safe to go into reconciliation is because you are okay in God, no matter what. And no one can take that away from you. Reconciliation can be dangerous business, but you are always safe in God. So know that you're okay in God. Fourth, know that the other person is loved by God too. Chances are they had a good reason for acting how they did, and even if they didn't, Knowing they are loved by God will allow you to see them with compassion rather than hatred. Remember that you are both servants in the household of God and neither is the master. 
Not only will this soften your heart towards them in conflict, it also means that if it doesn't go well, you can let them go in peace. You don't have to be bogged down in bitterness towards them. You can release them to God. And lastly, whenever possible, this is practical, do it face to face. Maybe that's the, uh, the Gen Xer in me, but I've never really seen reconciliation work over text or email. Human beings are meant to read each other face to face and look each other in the eye. And that's what allows us to say, no, I don't think you're understanding what I'm saying there or back things up. It's when we, written, written communication is not the way to do this. That's just, whenever possible, do it face to face. So just to wrap up, we are called to do reconciliation. Know that when you go out to do it, it's Jesus on the cross. Jesus who wasn't a doormat and stood up for what is right, but also when hung on a cross said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He was willing to release them to God. Jesus who enters into our brokenness and calls it out, but when sin punches back, he takes up the cross instead of the sword. He takes sin on himself. He enters in so that even at our worst, we can be reconciled to God. And that's why we are called out. And it's important to remember that most of all. This is what Jesus did for us, which is why we can do it for others. God loves you so much. God holds you no matter what. And in that love and in that grace, we are called out. This is the calling of this passage, to let God's grace and love change us in such a degree that we live that way, even towards those who hurt us. And I truly believe that if we do so, that is the place of freedom. Freedom before God, freedom in our lives, freedom not to be up at three in the morning, stuck on how we've been hurt. So Jesus says, go make it right as soon as possible. If you're tired or hurt, and pain and bitterness dominate your life, Jesus says, just go. And it is there in grace and love, not in winning, that we find freedom in the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. To find out more about Redemption Church, visit redemptionbristol.org.